0: Hi, Connor here from the Intelligence Squared podcast. Welcome to the Futureverse. In this series from Intelligence Squared and Ytree, we bring together ideas, conversations and insights around society's most pressing issues and how we can come up with innovative solutions. In this episode, we're joined by the Ytree founders and members of the team to lift the lid on Ytree and learn about their work in a bit more detail. Let's dive in now.
1: Welcome to this episode of The Futureverse, a podcast brought to you by Intelligence Squared in partnership with Ytree. This is the podcast that explores the conversations, the ideas and the insights that are driving change and shaping our future. I'm Kamal Ahmed. In the latest episode, we continue to explore our most recent theme in The Futureverse, the value revolution. Taking the art world as my cue, I discovered the way that female artists have been systematically undervalued across history. I asked why this was and I met the people striving to create parity across the industry. In this episode, the final one in the value revolution, I'm doing something different. I'm going to be lifting the lid on Ytree and learning about their work in more detail. Ytree was founded in 2017 to give their clients insight and advice about money and life. They call this financial life intelligence. At the heart of this idea sits a vision of a world where wealth is defined by how you live, not what you have. Tree wants to unlock value for their clients that goes beyond the financial. The outcome of that? More meaningful and fulfilling lives. That's the pitch. But what does it mean in practice? I've been speaking to Ytree's founders and the wider team about their own values and the Ytree mission. First up, I sat down with Ytree co-founder and CEO, Stuart Cash. I started by asking him to take us back to the beginning.
2: I was working at Goldman Sachs, quite a well-known institution. um, And I was working with companies on their defined benefit pension plans, which for those who, who don't know, is basically paying people salary for the rest of their life when they don't work for their employer Um, we got to a point where companies realized that they were paying people more salary for the people that didn't work for them than the people that were working for them and they guaranteed to pay them inflation for the rest of their life Um, and as i was working through that maze with companies i realized that people weren't really engaging with their money they thought they leave they get a pension um, and that isn't the case anymore people don't get those guilt-edged pensions you got from places like British Telecom and British Airways and British Aerospace. They just got the pot of money that they had at the end of their career that they might have saved. And so I was really keen to find a way to use all of the practices that we've been developing, advising companies on how to manage pensions and give that kind of approach, which we call asset liability management, to individuals.
1: Now, sure, it's really interesting. I've been on a journey starting my own business over the past uh, year where does that motivation come from when you're thinking to, to yourself, this needs to be a product for
2: individuals? I was—I I, realised I was really lazy with my money. Like, You go through your career, you don't think about managing your money, you just think about earning your money. And as you go through 15, 20 years of your career, you suddenly think, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything I advise my clients to do. Uh, maybe I should do this for myself. That was part of my... You know, I'm just not managing myself. And then, you know, late on a Sunday afternoon, you might get that, you know, report that came from an asset manager that you don't want to look at. And it just adds to the pile. And you never look at these things. Yeah, You're
1: describing uh, me, I think.
2: I worry.
3: Well,
2: <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> so that's the syndrome. Yeah. And so I, I thought, well, we've got this thing that that's come in called the iPhone. Right. So, you know, technology means you can bring things into the palm of your hand you can see what you earn, you can see what you spend, you might be able to work out what you could save. If you could compound, which is the eighth wonder of the world, according to Einstein, then you might that might grow into more over time. If you understood tax, then you would be able to take advantage of allowances that are there for you, but if you don't spend time looking at it, you miss your opportunity every year to take advantage of tax breaks that are given to you by the government to save. And so all of that goes on year after year, the average person who's in law, banking, private equity, business, has a nice house, has some cash, and they might have stock in their company, and they don't really think about anything in between, and that's the bit that you need to focus on, and bringing all of that together gives you a strategy, and so few people do that.
1: Tell me about how you met Eric and started the conversation because this is some tale around serendipity and yeah, chance.
2: Absolutely. absolutely yeah. uh, well, genuinely, I think it was March 2016. I had left uh, Goldman in May 2015. I was w- working through my own thought process of how to build this asset liability management for humans, uh, bringing the best of the you know, institutional world to to uh, individuals or families, and um, and I was kind of running out of steam a little bit. I was going for a walk in Hampstead Heath, and thinking, you know, am I really going to do this? And um, I saw this guy who just happened to call out "Boena," which means "come here" in Hebrew, and um, and I thought he was talking to one of his kids, but actually he was talking to his dog. <laughs> and most people call the name of their dog. He calls Boena. So I said, "Oh, your dog speaks Hebrew." And Impressive. and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think he was with his family. They must have thought, "Who is this stranger, you know, <laughs> costing me on the heath?" And uh, we just started talking. And I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "Oh, I'm an entrepreneur." And I said, "I'm trying to build a business." And and we just that was it. We started. We exchanged numbers, emails, um, and actually, I don't think we met for another nine months. He kind of ignored me, and I thought, "Well, he probably just doesn't want to talk to a banker." And but then we did. We we uh, we reconnected. I think in December of that year. And from January, we basically were walking on the heath talking about life, talking about the business that he was building, the business I was trying to build, um, how we'd bring it together, and what we wanted to do in terms of um, the experience we would give people. Like the fundamental thing is how would you give people real understanding about money, real transparency? That was the thing we were really focused on.
1: Now, You've spoken at White Tree and you've just touched on it there, this idea of financial life intelligence. Just unwrap that a bit for me so that I can
2: understand precisely what it is that the offer is here. So we've spent the last five or six years building a layer that sits on top of the incumbent wealth management industry it has been around for about 400 years. And this layer is pulling together data, technology, and integrating it with human experience. And the industry is one that is renowned for being quite opaque. People don't really see what's happening, so we provide transparency. It is renowned um, for people not really understanding what's going on. And so we give them meaning, we give them real understanding. And it's renowned for being quite expensive. And so we provide them something that's efficient, efficient at every level. And those are the kind of three layers.
1: And when you talk about intelligence, that suggests this amalgamation of the data, but also the human experience, because you speak about the idea of wealth being defined as much by sort of how you live, as it is by how wealthy you might be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, what are you trying to get at here? Because I can feel a big idea mm-hmm. around the human experience and what do you want to actually do rather than how wealthy are you and how much wealthier could you be?
2: I mean, I think there's lots of statistics that show that um, no matter, once you get above a certain level of wealth, which isn't as specific, especially high level of wealth, you don't increase your happiness. And then we all know that you can't take it with you. And so what are you really giving to yourself or to the people around you? It's a different value to monetary. And so we think that it's about things like time. It's about, um, knowledge. It's about values as opposed to value. Um, it's about experiences and that's what we think money gives you is that ability to choose the things you want for you your family your friends society maybe next generation that's what money facilitates i think of it actually a little bit like a car right money's like the fuel in the car you don't buy a car to put fuel in it you might buy a car because you like the car and what it looks like and the brand and the experience of accelerating or, or turning the steering wheel and But really, you have a car to go places. And that is what the experiences are in life. It's about traveling. And it's about not the destinations, but it's about the experiences of the journey along the way.
1: Stuart, you speak about asset liability optimization. Just take us through how that works for your clients.
2: This is really the way we help people think about money and life. On one hand, you've got all the positive things, your income, your future income stream coming through, that's an asset really. And you've got all the things you've saved and wealth that you've accumulated, that is an asset. And then the other side, you have the liabilities. The liabilities are all your expenditures from today forward. And that means looking at every basket of what you're gonna spend linked to a different type of inflation. So elderly care is different to school fees, which is different to holidays. All of those things have different inflation characteristics. And then the other part, of course, as a liability would be debts that you're planning on paying off. So that optimization process means all of those things need to be optimized and they need to be able to talk to each other. So we created this common language, which is what we call beta. That enables everything to communicate. So, you might decide you want to own a car, or you might decide that you want to take an Uber to work every day. That is an asset liability decision, because owning the car means you have to spend the money on the car, and then you've got the wear and tear, you've got the insurance, you've got road tax, you've got pollution tax, all of that costs you. Well, you might decide, I'm just going to take an Uber today and that's just an expenditure item. So that is an asset liability optimization question, just like, do I want to put money in my pension or do I want to pay off my mortgage? So all of these processes are optimized for you based on your profile.
1: And that's where the importance of data comes in, because I can think in my mind, maybe four or five of those coordinates. I can't think of a hundred and I can't do a thousand. Yeah. How are you unique in this space when thinking about the optimization process?
2: So, first of all, we have, I think, over 4,000 data points on you, as in all the things you might want to do in your life and all the things that you own and owe. And that means that every decision that's made by our system is systematic, it's driven by the technology, it's optimized for you. And that is done in the same way that you'd think about any decision being made by a machine. We're kind of building almost like a driverless plane, maybe rather than a driverless car. You probably want a little bit of manual intervention every so often. And that enables you to know that every decision you're making is being made by that machine. All, all of the things that you do are based on a perspective on risk, on every element of what you own, and what you owe, um, what you spend, what you earn. That, that's a systematic process. And it is that
1: machinery, so to speak, that is at least part of Ytree's uniqueness in the market?
2: No one's collecting all this data on you. Um, It's all of the analysis that we put in to to give context to that. And um, it's all of the perspective of past risk and future risk that enables you to optimise those decisions with a series of rules and algorithms around risk, around currency, around liquidity, around tax. All of that is put into the mix to give systematic answers all the time. So it's no longer reliant on the specific skills of an advisor that might wake up in the morning, start playing with a spreadsheet and think, oh, I've got an idea. How about we get the client to do that? It's done by the process, by the machinery, based on the amalgamation of all the intelligence we've got from people who work with the most sophisticated institutions on asset liability management problems for the last 20, 30 years.
1: You heard Stuart mention Eric Peretz. He is the second founder and the man responsible for developing the product and technology that help Ytree clients understand their financial lives. The technology ARIC is building continuously assesses every element of a client's financial life, enabling Ytree to recommend and make adjustments depending on the circumstances. The third and final co-founder is Johnny Hempel, who when we met recently began by telling me about his own distinctive background and how his meeting with Stuart and Eric shaped the development of Ytree's offering.
3: I was involved in building a business called Partners Capital where I was for 14 years and I really learnt really the best institutional approach to investing assets but also how to analyse risk etc. Um, My role there was very much building the business, and I ended up advising a lot of senior investment professionals, mainly in the private equity industry, and I loved it. It's it's a great firm, and it's done very, very well. Um, In 2016, I took some time out for personal reasons. I spent more time with the family, and in the second half of that year, Kamal, I had a bit of an itch to scratch, which was to take a a look at the wealth management industry. I was part of it at the very high end, more endowments and foundations. So I talked to a lot of banks, wealth managers, IFAs, and got a lot of information. And, and my conclusions were it's quite opaque. Uh, it's very difficult to work out what's really going on in someone's financial affairs. What's the risk? What are all the fees? Is the performance any good? Um, so there were, there, were, there were slight issues there with really how do, how do you compare them, let alone now how, how, how you're doing. Um, and also the revenue model of the industry is, is, is curious. For the, for the most part, a wealth manager is paid to manage money the so-called assets under management model. And therefore there's incentive to just gather more assets and sell more products, not necessarily to provide independent advice. Most of the advice is geared around selling something. And I thought there were just issues with that. Plus also the industry is quite high cost. Um, so there were, there were a few, few issues with it. And then I had a very interesting experience talking to lots of my peers. I was at this stage late 40s, and many of my peers were starting to run or get close to running the banks, the law firms, the private equity firms, consulting firms, etc. about their experience of the industry. And pretty much everyone said to me, Johnny, I don't have time to deal with my personal finances because I work too hard and I'm completely out of control with, you know, different reports and different desks. Um, And um, so what do I do? Well, I generally just hand my money to some brand who does something with it. I'm not sure what. I probably pay them too much. I'm not sure. And I have no idea how I'm doing. And that's when I thought this is very interesting from the consumer side, these very you know, highly educated, process orientated folk had no idea, no understanding, no control of their personal finances and issues on the supply side as well. So that's when I started thinking about maybe there's something to be done about this. Um, and I was then we're now mid 2017, I was introduced to Stuart and Eric. <clears throat> And Eric's background speaks for himself, he's a wizard technology and has built technology quite successfully over a number of years, but Stuart's background really interested me um, because he was an expert in liability management, having advised obviously a lot of pension funds and I'd learned quite a lot of expertise in how to manage assets and we thought maybe we can combine this skill set, institutional approach to management of assets and liabilities and create something which just doesn't exist for for individuals. Um, And if we can add some technology as well, we can make it more engaging, understandable and put everything on a phone so people have much more control. So.
1: You've obviously dealt with clients, human to human relationships. Um, when you think about a Ytree client, who are you thinking of and how
3: does Ytree help them? There are some common traits um, which most of our clients share, which means that they get Ytree and, and we appeal to them. Most of them are time poor. Most of them understand their own limitations and that they're not very good and they have no interest in managing their own money. Um, They're a bit frustrated with the current setup, probably costing a bit too much, and they, they don't like being sold stuff. They all have tremendous process in their day jobs, zero process in their financial affairs. They want a good process. But really one of the most important things is that they want to have objective advice from an intellectual peer as opposed to being sold something. So they want somebody who's got their back. And the final point is we want people who are influential um, because to begin with, you know, we were a firm that was very under the radar. And so we wanted our clients to be our champions, our ambassadors, almost our sales force for us. But most of our clients, clients share those traits. And so we appeal to professionals, lawyers, accountants, consultants, private equity partners, um, people who work in industry. Um, and, and if we just take, I guess, two examples. Um, so lawyers are a great example. Um, very very time poor as I, as I, as I said before, um, and most of them know their limitations when it comes to managing money, but um, what we, what we do what we start up by doing is we analyze their financial affairs we provide what's called a financial health check. so we look at the wealth management setup is it working as efficiently as it should be for you? what are the costs what's the risk how's it really performing? We have some very interesting data on the industry with regard to that, and then we build a strategy for them so we take in all assets, all liabilities. All of your projected income and all of your expenditure and then then build a model for your life and help people understand whether it's working or not and we've got some very interesting data on the legal world Um, and the data suggests that when we meet lawyers the average partner of a magic circle law firm if they carry on spending as they're spending will run out of money in their mid-80s they've still got a house and that's quite alarming and quite shocking when we show them the data. It's just data-driven, having looked at the assets, liabilities, income, expenditure. And for them, first of all, we look at the efficiency of the of the setup. For most part, you can reduce costs by 450%, which has a huge impact on someone's life. And then you're helping them understand what risk they need to take to meet their life aspirations and goals. What's the right currency mix? Where, where are they going to spend their money? Really, they're very inefficient when it comes to, when cash comes in, they're too busy to invest it. So we help them manage that much more efficiently. So we're really just trying to add a few marginal gains in a number of areas. And the compounding impact of that has a massive impact on someone's life. They end up with a lot of money at 100. So they can meet their life aspirations and maybe do other stuff as well. So with lawyers, it's very much, can they sustain their lives? A few tweaks can help them. If we take maybe a private equity professional, who's generally got a larger balance sheet, and they're going to be fine. They can support their family. But for them, it's really um, enhancing the productivity of their balance sheets. Most private equity partners, they have a lot of very um, risky private assets, mainly in in their business. So when they come to see us, they're sitting on lots of cash to to balance that. So we help them understand that actually investing in the cash, they they can make them more productive, just by taking a little bit more risk. So they're earning a little bit more. We also help them understand how to maximise their allocation to their internal private markets investments. They have a great advantage over many in that they can get access to private equity for no cost, which is a huge advantage. So we help them understand what's the best strategic allocation and then how much they think about they should commit to each fund. They've also got, in many cases, if they've got a lot of money, lots of different banks managing their money. So we act as the almost the consultant city across the top analysing all the different risks and performance and fees of all the managers, they can start comparing and understanding who's doing well and who's not doing well. So for them, it's more like a sort of family office approach. Um, and we're really just maximising their optionality with their balance sheet and helping them understand that as well as supporting their family, they can do a lot more and potentially help others. For a lot of them are very focused on philanthropy and they can do a lot more just with these efficiency gains.
1: Having heard from Johnny about how why Treat aims to open up these important conversations around money, purpose and family, I spoke to Eliana Sides, Tree's head of financial life strategy.
0: So I got into finance because a friend of mine who's in finance said to me, you're very nosy. I prefer curious, by the way. Better work. You're very nosy. <laughs> and I think you'll be very good at this. And I thought, Okay, I had young children. I wanted a career change. And so I thought, okay, I'll pick up the first manuals and have a look at it. And basically, I just kept taking exams until I got to fellow. And then I thought, this isn't everything. This is all about making money. This isn't about people's lives still. As much as the books try to make it about it, it isn't. So then I started specializing in key areas. So divorce was the first one. I myself had been through a divorce uh, prior to coming into finance and not been fully advised on pensions. And when I'm reading these manuals, I learned that I hadn't been properly advised. And I thought that's not fair. This isn't fair on people. So I I literally wanted to change how people engage with their money through these difficult times. Um, Then, dementia came into my life through family members, and I became a dementia friend and really focused on that. And then, obviously, the end of life is death. And what comes with death is the passing on of assets, how people want their legacy known. So out of these, I got known for being somebody who deals with difficult times. I actually prefer to think it's just life events that come along. They're not all down and dreary like this. It's the birth of a grandchild. Um, It's a moving house. It's the next step in your career. All of these things. It's the -the round-the-world cruise you want, your bucket list. And that's what I wanted to bring. And I'd been searching somewhere for somewhere that I could actually bring all that into real life. And you can't actually do it without technology. It's not possible to do fully without technology. There are really good people out there who'd love to do it. But if you don't have all the information to hand, you simply can't do the planning at this level.
1: It is really interesting, isn't it, how purpose and our own personal experiences can drive mm. what motivates us. Yeah, And there's there's a link, isn't there, from, it sounds to me, there's a link between what you're saying and the purpose of Whytree, this notion of financial life intelligence. So often wealth money is spoken about around bottom lines yeah. and graphs and rows and columns of numbers and red numbers and green numbers and ups and downs, as you say. From speaking to so many of the founders and the people who are building White Tree, this purpose thing hmm. comes down to this idea of financial life intelligence. Yeah. What That seems to be connected with the story you've just told me about your own personal experiences guiding actually what you want to achieve yeah. in your work life.
0: Yes, it is. And I, I I, think we all want a purpose. We always want, all of us want to feel valued in some way, whether it's within our families or in the wider world. Um, I think it would be quite sad if we didn't feel that drive. But how can you articulate that when you've just got a sheet of numbers? And everything to do with finance seems to me to have dragged us to that bottom line but that isn't simple that's just not how people live that's not how we think every day if you're sat there at home thinking you know I want to take the kids on holiday what sort of holiday am I gonna have who wants to sit down and look at their investment returns to see if they can do it you want to know this is in your budget you can afford to do it because you're creating memories with your family so I prefer to think about money as facilitating making memories uh, and we actually in our family talk about memory presence versus item presence. And in a sense, that's where whitery's thinking. We, we want people to be able to create those memories with their families, not just cre- create assets that will be a number on a page at the end of your life. And I think that's a really important difference. And when we're talking to clients, you can see when they think, somebody's actually listening to me. Somebody understands what's important to me. And what we find very often is when you get couples together where one party may have not been part of those financial conversations previously, but then they're together in the room and you're asking them about that um, bucket list. What's important to you? What what do you want to happen? Do you want your children to receive lots of money? Do you want to support charitable giving? Um, Do you just want to have fun yourselves? And the conversations that we see open up between couples is incredible.
1: And Eliana, you've stepped us into actually... A really important part of the white tree um, story, which is this notion of diversity and including lots of voices that are probably haven't historically been included yeah. in the wealth management conversation. Mm-hmm. Women, in particular, but many other unheard voices. Mm-hmm. How how have you approached that thinking around? Who is not heard in this conversation? And particularly when you think about how women have often been mm. excluded from this notion of wealth management being about the male head of the household in, in a historic traditional sense. Mm.
0: So it's not just finance that excludes very often the female voice. Uh, you try buying a car. <laughs> My husband said they talk to him even though it's my financial decision. So it's a lot of industries that have this this issue. It's historical. Um, we are at a cusp of change, I think. Um, and it's very important for us that we have a way of communicating that doesn't create a barrier. So gender-neutral language is the easiest way to explain it, but actually it means saying to people proactively, your spouse should be here. No your children should be here, your daughters as well as your sons. It's having those conversations very early on because frequently people have been educated to turn up on their own. I do the finances. I'll turn up on my own. I'll make the decisions. And nobody's helped them understand that that might not be a greater way of continuing. And actually out of it, what we hear is a lot of the fears that come from women about... What if i'm left to sort all this out one day i won't understand it how will i deal with this Uh, and so it's not just important from the fact that we we shouldn't exclude anybody diversity is is really important but it's really important to make the finances work in a family yet if you're only hearing one voice but the families are larger you're, you're not getting the right information and tone and and thought processes out of it you're not getting answers to the questions that we ask we need all those people involved and we encourage it right from day one
1: it's amazing having these conversations with the founders and the people who are um, uh, involved in the expansion and and growth and offer of of ytree how how little I've thought about this. Mm. I'm just amazed. I'm thinking to myself, as you're talking, my goodness, that's exactly how I've approached, mm. frankly, um, a lot of life. And it, yeah. you must be, when you're thinking about your clients, um, how do you take them on that journey? Because as you say, often people are trapped in the conversations they've always yeah. had, the history. No one's asked me before. How do you, how do you, it's almost expanding people's horizon when they think about wealth.
0: It is. So one of the ways is to actually ask questions about how they manage their total lifestyle. Who makes the decisions about the restaurants? Who makes the decisions about the money? But understanding it's not just about finance. There's so many areas we have roles in our families and we've grown into them by habit. So we are challenging habits on so many different things, not just on that, on on how you keep cash, how you invest, how you look at your money, how you read the reports, how often you meet. All of these were challenging ingrained habits. And for some people that can be uncomfortable and we have to help them gently through that. For other people, they want to dive in and make it the changes wholesale. If there's something you really have a burning desire to do or achieve, let's know what it is. And it, people filter out the things that don't have a money on it. So one of my colleagues said he'd, he'd like to play on a, a golf seniors tour. I said, why not? He said, oh, I'll never be good enough. I said, no, you currently don't have enough time to practise. If you had enough time, there's a potential to be good enough. I think another colleague would question that, but the theory is there. So the question often is time, not money. And that's one of our really fundamental values is about time. If we can help people have the time. They can achieve the goals that appear to not have a financial target, but it's actually the time compression.
1: I've heard efficiency, which is a value proposition. Yes. Are you efficiently dealing with the money issues in your life? I've heard purpose. Are you doing enough with your money about the things you want to do? Mm -hmm. And also speaking to you, I've heard reassurance, i.e. there's this whole of life that you know you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. And you're either, as you say, working too hard or your life is too busy for many, many other reasons. And it just sort of sits there and you feel concerned about it and you know you've got to go and sort it out. And you appear to help people on that journey of kind of sorting out, the loft that they haven't been into for 20 years, but they know they really need to go in there and look through the boxes and sort out what they're going to be
0: doing. Yeah. And the boxes have sometimes turned up in our office for us to go through and have a look (laughs) at. Literally. Literally. For for most of us, we will have areas of blindness that we don't like, we won't want to do, um, and areas we like spending time on. So we're trying to help people deal with the areas of blindness, but actually, Removes the bits that have become a comfort area that actually is not productive. So the efficiency one you mentioned, um, shuffling between different wealth managers, trying to read different reports, may make you feel in control, but it's very inefficient. That time could be going out with your family, having fun, doing something else that, you know, hopefully gives you more joy than reading those things. Uh, so from, if you're looking at those um the language you said, you know, about efficiency, transparency, ease of information—all of those things—that's what supports and enables you to then go and use that. That gives you the time to be able to use the money you want in the way you want to. And so, it's it's bringing all those things together, and I think it brings security, a real sense of security out of it, because it feels like you've got somebody walking alongside you. So when times are good, you can go off and have fun. But equally, if a tough time comes along, you've got somebody to turn to and go, I'm, I'm not maybe quite as comfortable at the moment, so can I talk something through with you? Can I get some guidance from you, some help? Remind me that what's going on in the world at the moment isn't going to destroy my entire life, and I can feel comfortable about it.
1: So Ytree designs financial life strategies. It's about enabling their clients to meet their ambitions and navigate changes in lifestyle, health, family and more. It's about preparation for moments of challenge and change. But what about the how? I wanted to pick up on something else Stuart alluded to earlier. Why Tree brings the processes of the world's most sophisticated endowments, pensions and billionaire strategies to individuals. What does that mean in practice?
4: The key word is process. We bring process. If I was the CFO of a FTSE 100 company, every single month I would be looking at the income. I'd be looking at the expenditure. I'd know my p and off by heart. I'd probably have 50 to 100 other key performance indicators that I'm monitoring and tracking. And I'd have a whole team of people helping me do that. I'd have internal auditors. I'd have management accountants. I'd have financial controllers. Individuals don't
1: do that. This is Will Houghton, Head of Client Advice at Ytree.
4: A family office might, if I've got over, say, a billion pounds to invest, I can afford to assemble a team like that and bring those processes. But what we've done is we've used technology to distill those processes into something that we can take to all of our clients. Um, So if I give you a couple of examples, um, so let me start off with aggregation. So the first thing we do when we speak to a client to give them advice is we understand the whole picture. Most times when an individual goes to a wealth manager, they're being pitched on allocating a portion of their portfolio, you know, maybe their pension or their ISA or their LISA to a certain investment strategy. An institution looks at the entire picture. So that could be liquid assets, illiquid assets. It could be a stocks and shares ISA alongside a pension, alongside an investment property you might have or a private equity fund. Most individuals do not appreciate the importance of understanding the whole picture. So our technology helps our clients aggregate every aspect of the balance sheet wherever it's held, whether it's on a brokerage account or with a private bank or an investment platform, and understand that in real time through our integrations with investment platforms. That's then the foundation to give the advice. Um, A Second example is in the analysis. So we apply a level of sophistication and granularity, which you typically only do if you were an institution. So if you, you know, if a listener has got a recent investment report, they can look to page three or four and they'll see that there's an, something called an asset allocation summary, which will show the breakdown of the portfolio between cash, equities, commodities, etc. What an institution does, they look a level beneath that and they say, actually, within each of those asset classes, there are thousands of underlying stocks, thousands of underlying securities, and they assign a risk sensitivity to each of
1: those. And it's building technology to enable that to be available in real time or month by month? How does yeah, the so dashboard work for people?
4: Yeah, so actually it's, it's a bit like a smartwatch. So a number of people have got, you know, Fitbits, Apple Watches, Garmin's and occasionally you'll get a vibration that says, you know, you've been sitting down too long, maybe you haven't done your 10,000 steps. Maybe you're feeling stressed. We've done that for your financial life. So we have a dashboard that can monitor when you're spending too much. If your risk level's drifted, maybe it's too high for your goals. Maybe you're sitting on too much cash and we can bring that real live analysis and tracking to our clients' financial lives.
1: What inspired you to join Ytree? Um, So I actually joined
4: a boutique investment advisory firm, which looked after institutions like Oxford Cambridge Colleges and ultra high net worth individuals. Um, Did that for a number of years, got a great insight into the industry. And one of the things that really struck me was the chronic under adoption of technology in this era. And it was actually just one evening. I was working pretty late in the office. It was 10.30 or 11 at night. Um, And I was thinking about what I'd done that day and they were really sort of routine administrative tasks which could be turned into some form of technology. So I was sending a form out to a client which I was asking them to print, sign, scan, send back when we were gonna have to do the same on our side. I've been checking some data which someone had inputted into an Excel spreadsheet from a paper report. And I got to the end of the night and I ordered an Uber And on the way home, I ordered a delivery, I got a pizza, and it was there as I arrived home. And it was at that moment sort of the enormous juxtaposition between the quality of service that I was getting, ordering a cab and ordering some food, versus the experience that most people are getting in their personal financial services. That was really the catalyst for me to want to do something in the technology-driven financial services space.
1: What are the common mistakes that people who should be clients of mm-hmm. White Tree make when they're thinking about their yeah. wealth management and the future.
4: Yeah. So the one that comes up time and time again is hindsight bias. And we've all been at that family party where there's an uncle banging on about some investment that's made him 300%. Everyone should put it in their stocks and shares either. We've all got a friend who saw the cryptocurrency crash coming miles before it did. That's hindsight bias. The reality is 95% of people think they can time the market and only 5% can consistently. There are thousands of professional money managers out there who are scrutinising macroeconomic data, company financial statements, every single day and even amongst that group only a very small minority can consistently outperform. The second thing I see quite a bit is a misunderstanding of the importance of risk in your financial setup. So I was round for dinner at my brother's place last week. He's recently bought um, a place up in Stoke Newington with his fiance. They don't work in financial services. <laughs> they're in interior design and a startup, <laughs> exactly. And uh, they were asking me for some financial advice because they made their first big financial decision which was to buy a house and take on a mortgage. And they wanted to understand what my perspectives were on how to take things to the next level. And the first thing they did is they put down a report on the table, their recent wealth manager report, and they said, are these investments any good? That sums up how the industry works. The conversation always begins, tell me about your investments, not tell me about your life. So we then had a long conversation about their ambitions around the wedding that was coming up, around potentially upsizing in three or four years, about their plans to have a family. And it was really from that conversation around purpose that we reached a conclusion on the investments. And actually when we came back at the end of that long conversation and looked at the list of investments, we realized that they were at a completely different risk level to what they needed to be at based on their goals. There's, there's one uh, other.
1: Yeah, go go, go. There's just yep, one other yep. point
4: that I think is kind of central to a lot of what we do around mistakes that clients make, and that's the underappreciation for the benefit of marginal gains in investing. So one quote we look to uh, in a lot of our um, sort of investment philosophy is Sir Dave Brailsford when he talks about this theory of incremental gains. Um, he, as you probably know, completely transformed the success of British cycling with you know Beijing and, and London 2012. And his whole mantra was, if you break down everything to do with riding a bike and you improve it by 1%, the combined impact is massive. That couldn't be more relevant for managing your personal finances. So speaking to a client um, a few weeks ago about their pension, they had a pot of about £1 million. So it was pretty material and it was a decent part of their overall balance sheet. Through our technology, we discovered that they were paying about 50 basis points. That's 0.5% more than they needed to. And it was a cost they weren't aware of. If you think about what that actually means for meeting their life goals, by removing that 0.5% drag over 20 years, that client could be a quarter of a million pounds better off. One of this client's main financial goals was to support their grandchildren through private school. That's enough to put one of their grandchildren through London Day School for 10 years. And that's just half a percent. And we're talking about a 1% gain. And when you add all of those things up around risk, around investing your cash, around your illiquidity, it can be life-changing.
1: It's those incremental gains, those marginal efficiencies that can be so life-changing. OK, that's the theory. But now I want to get a little bit technical. Mark Mashaka is Ytree's head of investment solutions and leads their risk management thinking. Talk to us about the Ytree benchmark. Sure. You talk about the Ytree benchmark. What are, you, what are you describing there?
5: Yes. So Ytree benchmark is a performance comparator. So it allows you or a client to understand the overall financial performance of um, their portfolio or any provider um, uh, that they have in their um, portfolio. Um, So in other words, um, it is a reference point that has two important characteristics. It is investable and uh, it has a comparable level of risk as the portfolio you're comparing it to. Um, So if you want to access this uh, comparator, you can, because you can buy it if you wish to uh, have exposure to it. Uh, It's of the same level of risk that you have in your portfolio. So it allows you to do a simple thing to ensure that the level of return you're receiving is appropriate for the risk you're taking, net of all the fees. And it doesn't matter what you invest into, how it's managed, the basis for comparison is the risk. That's one thing. Now, you might ask me why risk as the basis for com- comparing things. Um, what we have found out through analysis is that looking ahead can replicate the long-term performance of a, of a portfolio using low-cost index trackers. Um, and the reason why is because the majority of that performance is driven by the market risk, not the actions of an active manager. So by creating this reference point that you can invest that has the same risk, you create this reference point against which any provider, any fund can be compared.
1: Does that help with the sense that many high net worth individuals, clients of Ytree, many, many others feel is a very opaque industry they're involved with? It is very hard to compare. It is very hard to benchmark. It is very hard to know, as you say, what value am I getting out of this that I couldn't get out of having a totally vanilla tracker fund over there and sticking it in a high interest account.
5: Exactly. That's exactly the the point. So the industry is, I mean, is opaque, not because they wanted to to hide things. Um, It's opaque in terms of providing a sense of what is the reason for good or bad performance. A benchmark um, uh, in a traditional sense of things is set with the investment universe the underlying manager is supposedly going to buy. What if this manager takes a position which falls outside that benchmark? They often do. Some of the best performing fund out there um, uh, have been extremely uh, outperforming their benchmark because they bought U.S. equities for the last five years or 10 years. Well, this is not really um, a case of pure value add. It's a case of buying something that wasn't in the benchmark and maybe actually meant in taking more risk than you're actually supposed to. So the idea behind this benchmark is to create a very transparent base that you can um uh, set to understand what are the key drivers of performance. Is it the fact that you took more risk or less risk? Is it the fact that the risk you took is different from the risk that um, uh, you is in this benchmark, which is kind of low cost again and index tracking? And finally, maybe it's not about the risk which is up or down, or the f- way you have invested that risk. is the very securities that you bought. It's an Apple versus a Microsoft. And these three layers are very clear to understand how you go from what you got from what the market has given. And if a manager has not given you more than the market net of fees, well, all of these three components, which are normally the source of value-add, were not value-add. And how does that protect me, or how does
1: that help, if I'm your client, how does that help my understanding of where I, my family my loved ones, the things I want to do with my life, the areas I want to support, et cetera, et cetera. How does that approach help me understand over a five-year horizon, a 10-year horizon, in a way that is better from what I could do in the rest of the market?
5: Sure. Now, the benchmark is a benchmark. Now, what you ask is essentially, what's the risk I need to take? Um, And that's the key question. So in order to set the benchmark, we need to understand what risk level a client based on their five year, 10 year, 20 year kind of aspiration should be. And that is a function of what the client wants to do, what you want to do in life, what it means financially, and then what you have today and what you might get in the future to achieve it. Um, That's where the analysis of your assets versus your liability comes into play. We look at what you want to do in the future. This is kind of the liability side of things, the payments that are going to happen in, uh, in the next 5, 10, 20, 50 years. And we look at what you have now to fund those future purchases and expenditure. And the risk is the amount that is appropriate for all of these future uh, expenditures to be made safely, regardless of the environment that may come. We have no crystal ball. We won't figure out whether the next recession is going to be in six months' time, in one year's time, in 10 years' time. We want to make sure that the risk, the diversification, the tools that is in this strategy are there in order to deliver this plan safely. Um, otherwise, it's a game of market timing, as people say, and it's a very tough game to play. So rather being um, reactive, we want to be prepared, And making sure that uh, we have the tools to kind of uh, manage these scenarios that aren't difficult to predict.
1: It strikes me that Ytree is like a sat-nav for your financial life. One that maps where you are, establishes your destination and reroutes you depending on the road ahead. With this in mind, I had one final question for Stuart. How does this process work in the world of turmoil and uncertainty that we find ourselves in?
2: Well, it almost feels like we're back to normal, actually. It's, it's a bit of an odd thing to it say. It could possibly be. But when I started yeah. work, there were high interest rates and there was inflation. And we've been through a 20-year period now of basically a benign market where central banks have kept inflation under control, 2 to 3%, which isn't really that normal. And we've had virtually money you can borrow for free. That's not normal. And people don't really realise that. So we are coming back to normality, normal valuation levels for equities, normalised interest rates, inflation, that's actual inflation. Um, so in many respects, it's kind of, it's its a more real world than what we've had for the last. But I think uh, where where we think about it is that you can't predict the future. Um, and, and even if you look at the last couple of years, who would have thought we'd have a global pandemic? Actually, at the end of that, markets would be way higher than when we were going through the pandemic when everyone thought there'd be a huge crash. And then just when we think we're coming into the clear, there's a a war starting in Ukraine. And then now that's led us into basically a worldwide recession. I mean, who would guess so? And then you've got things coming from my industry with the whole LDI world, which is what we were creating. And that's pushing up the price of gilts and potentially pension funds might go bust. Who knows any of that? So our view is you need to just look at risk. And if you model risk going back many generations, then history does repeat itself. To understand the nature of how volatile equities might be, how much inflation might move, how much interest rates might move, that impacts everything that you have and everything you might do. So whether it is your future salary and how that might inflate, uh, whether that is the value of your asset prices moving up and down, whether that's the cost of your debt and your mortgage, all of that needs to be assessed understanding the risk. And I think you can't really predict, but what you can do is try to understand a what-if scenario. Run scenarios and see what happens. And that's how we're building our business, is to help people understand risk systematically. A good
1: place to end. Thank you, Stuart. Join us again soon for another journey into the Futureverse, when we will be exploring a new theme, redefining legacy. What does it mean to have a legacy? Are some causes more effective than others? Should we leave money to our children or do what we can to help the greater good? We'll be grappling with these questions and more over the next few weeks. In the meantime, for a different perspective on money and life, visit y-tree.com.